You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. You are. Isn't this good? It is. It is so good to be together again. Not sure why this stick was here. Jan wasn't sure why either. He thought it was a prop that somebody needed or I needed. I don't think I need it, but let's see what happens. Maybe I do need it. Find a use for it here this morning. Um, yeah, so I am part of the leadership team. If you don't know who I am, uh, it's been a while since I've been here because it's been a while since we've been able to be here. But I'm part of a leadership team of the Canadian Pacific District with the Evangelical Free Church of Canada, and that means I get to have the privilege of, when I can, visit churches like yourselves and just bring a report as to how God is working in the sister churches throughout the district. It's been a tough year, right? It's been a tough year for you individually. Uh, You know, we've all had to deal with COVID and and all that comes with that. Um, Your pastor has had to deal with that, and every pastor in every church has had to deal with that. They've had their own personal challenges with COVID, managing all of that, and then, of course, they've had to try and manage uh, ministry during COVID, and so some very uncharted waters for, for many of our young pastors. And so it's not been the easiest year. Uh, I would really ask you to be remembering those that are in leadership, uh, especially those that are trying to shepherd congregations. Um, it's, it hasn't been easy. And so the, the, it's taken a bit of a toll. Um, right now, we do have some churches that are looking for a senior pastor. Uh, you could be praying for Pritchard, not that far away, as they're looking for their next pastor. Uh, remember 100 Mile House, Evangelical Free Church, they've been without a pastor for a while and they are ready now to find someone and so they're looking. Um, pray for Fort St. James. Um, just recently their pastor has resigned so that's, they're not actually officially looking yet but if I find the right person before they start looking I will help them with that. And then all the way up north in Dawson City in the Yukon, they're looking for their next senior pastor as well so if you could remember those churches. If you were here last week, you got to meet Dan and Sharon Williams. They are our church planters down in Osoyoos. Uh, as a district, I just want to thank you and all of the churches that are involved in helping us do what we want to do. We do three things in the district. We, we work towards healthy churches, healthy pastors, and healthy church plants. And so everything we do falls into one of those categories or overlaps somehow within that. And if you met Dan and Sharon last week, you have met a really quality couple who are doing an amazing job through COVID. Like, who would think planting a church during COVID is a good idea? Uh, We wouldn't have thought it was a good idea, but we had all the work done and everything was in place. And so we had a date and it was starting and COVID came along and we just said, well, we're going to keep going. If anything happens here, it'll be God. And uh, it is God. And he has been doing some wonderful things there. And I know you got a report last week from Dan and Sharon, so I won't tell you a lot more about that. Glad to be traveling again as well, as I mentioned that already, and uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more of that. Uh, I've been kind of doing a lot of stuff by Zoom, and Zoom is a wonderful tool, as you know, but it sure doesn't replace shaking someone's hand and looking into someone's eyes and, and just praying together in person with people who love Jesus, and that's the part of this that I love the most, and so I have a big smile on my face because things are going in my direction right now, and I'm thankful for that. What I also love to do is, is share from God. Okay. 
Maybe it's my batteries are dying. No, I'm back on again, so we'll just see what happens here. Let me, uh, let me pray. Um, there's a passage of Scripture I want to share. You can find it. Romans chapter 8 is where I want to spend a bit of time. But let me just pray before I open this piece of Scripture to us this morning. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for your presence with us. Lord, we're thankful that you are a God who has given us your word. You've given us direction. And uh, we can confidently open your word and we can listen. And in our soul, we can hear the voice of Almighty God give us direction as we are called to lay aside all of what is the old and to embrace all that which is Jesus, which is the new. And so I just pray for this time that it would be transformative, that the resurrected King would continue to resurrect us and that you would be pleased, Lord. And so use this amazing piece of Scripture to, to bolster our faith and to strengthen us and to, to give us a resolve so that we would we would face our Lord and we would journey steadily in your direction as you lead and guide for your glory, Lord, we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Let me just read four verses for you. This is probably one of the greatest statements that are found in Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly equipped. We understand that. But, you know, there are some other passages of Scripture that seem to have more weight than others. If you could, if you could weigh words, I know that's a difficult thing to do, but if you could put words on a scale and weigh them, these words would have some significant weight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. To be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. I don't know if you can remember the first time you encountered Romans chapter 8. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, this is probably not a new piece of Scripture. You've heard this before. You've read this before. Uh, if you're a new follower of Christ, this might be fairly new to you, and maybe you've just encountered this, or maybe today's the first day that you really encounter this passage of Scripture. But if you can think back to the time when you first encountered this Scripture in a meaningful way, and by that what I mean is you were feeling very condemned because of the struggle that we all share as we journey towards our eternal home with Christ, and as you were struggling, and as you were feeling weighed down, and as you were feeling the heaviness and the, I'll use Paul's word, the wretchedness of having failed, you came across this passage of Scripture and it said, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
I don't know if you can remember that, but I know that this verse has been used by God powerfully, and I pray that today would be the same, speaking into our lives, something that is incredibly true. And, and I don't know if you can remember the first time you encountered this. I have a hunch if you encountered this verse as a very meaningful piece of Scripture during a time of struggle, the next thing you did was looked again to see if you could find the word but. You know how it is. It's good news, right? It's always good news. Somebody's always got some good news for you, and then they follow it up with a but, right? And, oh, there, there it goes, right? Here's something great, but. There's no but. There's no but. No, but. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no but. And so this verse by itself, the first verse, by itself is powerful and it's weighty and it's incredibly meaningful. But then if you look at it in context with what the Apostle Paul has just written in what we call chapter 7. You have to remember again, Paul wasn't writing chapters and numbers. He just wrote a letter. This, this was a letter that he wrote to the believers in Rome. He had not yet visited Rome. He was looking forward to going to Rome. This letter, Phoebe was going to take it. It was going to be his introduction. This is how the people in Rome would get to know this man who was coming to see them. They were already believers. The gospel had already reached Rome. And Paul was excited. And so he's writing this treatise, and it's just a big, long letter that he's writing. And later on, for the help of us, simple people, editors have put in chapters and numbers so that when we, when we want to find something, we can find it. Otherwise, we would be kind of hopeless. Although I think otherwise, maybe we wouldn't be so lazy with our scriptures, and we'd have a lot more of it memorized, and we'd probably be able to find it anyway, and it would probably been better for us maybe not to have it all numbered out I don't know but it's there and that's why we have numbers but you know if you look at the context of where Paul has been what he's been talking about prior to this statement therefore there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus then all of a sudden that verse becomes even more weighty if you will when I mention Romans chapter 7 any of you that know your Bibles immediately you're thinking about oh yeah that's that place where, where Paul says, yeah, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, right? Remember that thing? And that's exactly what it is. That's what chapter 7 is all about. Chapter 7 is about struggling with sin. And what makes it so powerful to me is that it's not Paul, a theologian, Paul, a man who is perfect, Paul, a man who is up on some pedestal somewhere, talking about something that you and I have to struggle with, but he, you know, he's beyond that. No, 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 no. The, the Apostle Paul, look at what he says in verse 14 of chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. That's what he's telling the people at Rome. He's saying, I'm unspiritual. The superstar guy who's coming to see you is unspiritual. I am unspiritual. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate to do, that's what I do. 
And then down in verse 18, again, he picks it up. I know that nothing good lives within me. That is, it's within my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, understand, this is not where Paul lived every day of his life, right? This isn't Paul's permanent condition that he's talking about, that every day he got up and he just struggled with sin and failed miserably and struggled with sin and failed miserably, but that, that was, no, no. No, we understand that the Apostle Paul lived a victorious life, but we also understand that there were times, there were seasons, there were situations when the Apostle Paul struggled with sin and lost, struck out, failed. We think of the Apostle Paul as this amazing man standing before kings and princes, journeying across the empire, planting churches, writing amazing theological treaties, letters, letters to churches, letters to individuals. He cared about churches. He cared about people. He wrote to Timothy. He wrote to Titus. But here in this letter that he's writing to the folks at Rome, he's being led by the Spirit to be truthful, really honest and really open and truthful, which is what we all are called to be and to do. The Apostle Paul did not know that he was writing Scripture, right? He was writing a letter, right? Same with all the other Scriptures that we see from the hand of the Apostle Paul, the letters to the Galatians and the Ephesians. He, he was writing letters. We're reading other people's mail. He didn't know he was writing Scripture. God knew he was writing Scripture. The Holy Spirit was guiding him so that the words he spoke were the words that the Spirit of God wanted him to spoke. He, he, he was being moved, like all of the authors of Scripture, by the Spirit of God to put down that which the Spirit of God wanted to have him put down. And so the Spirit of God is leading Paul, and the Apostle Paul, I can, again, I use my imagination here. The Apostle Paul is, is, is writing, he's looking forward, he's excited about going to Rome. You read the first few chapters of Rome, and he's big on theology, and he's teaching all the wonderful truths that are there. And now the Spirit of God leads him to this place of vulnerability. And he goes there. He follows the Spirit's leading, and he, and he writes. And he writes, you know, I know, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. And then he goes on and he writes, I know that nothing good lives within me. That is within my within my sinful nature, for I, I desire to do... And as he's writing this, I can't help but imagine that he's thinking back to the last time that he failed, right? I, I, I can't help but imagine that whatever that situation was, that it's becoming clearer to him again as he's writing about this. He's... You know, he, he, he blew it, 
he confessed his sin. He didn't write 1 John, but he believed what 1 John said. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just, will forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul knew that. So the Apostle Paul has dealt with that sin, and he's picked himself up, and God has picked him up, and he's back on, and he's walking powerfully and doing wonderfully. But, and, but now he's writing, and he's thinking back, and, and this, whatever this was, whatever this was, was just coming back to him again and reminding him again. Down in verse 22, and we're still in chapter 7, here I can sense that the fact that he had sinned is now morphing into the emotion that I had sinned, peace, right? He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then with his pen, he writes this down. He goes, what a wretched man I am. The, the, the full weight, if you will, of the last time that he failed has come upon him. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks the question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Question mark. And he gives us the answer. I love it. When I was in school, I did best on the tests where they gave you the answers. This is one of these great pieces, eh? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body of death? Question mark. Here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And from there, he just segues one more sentence and right into, therefore there is now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. You see why that verse is so powerful and so weighty? Because the verse, the thought, those words that the Spirit of God guided the Apostle Paul to write so that we have them today to help us on our journey, those words were words that were birthed in his own struggle. And so those words are so powerful and so wonderful. How many times have you kicked yourself for failing? How many times have you wanted to be patient with your kids or with your spouse or with your coworkers or whatever and, and then something happened and you blew it and you blew it in a big way and you felt like a wretch. We don't use that word very much, do we? That's good. I think we should reserve that word for things like this. To be wretched. I don't know, wretched. To me, wretched just means completely out of sorts. To be wretched just means, ah, oh, just... To be extremely to the point of just frustration, just so disappointed with yourself. 
What a wretched man I am. How many times has that happened to you that you have found yourself in that position where you've just blown it? You knew you should have steered clear. You knew you, like a fool, you thought you could handle it. But before you knew it, you found out the hard way that you're so much weaker than you thought you were. You've tried to live by standards that you know are right, but even though you knew better, you did the stupid thing, and now all you feel is that stupid, filthy, wretched feeling that the Apostle Paul feels. But therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And there's no but. That's good. That's really good. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you do not need to fear the wrath of Almighty God because Jesus, His Son, took that wrath upon Himself. When Jesus died upon the cross, He took our sin. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, He gives us His righteousness. Do we deserve it? No. Will we ever do anything to be worthy of it? No. It is His mercy and it is His grace. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, He doesn't see a wretch. He sees a son or He sees a daughter. And He sees that the price has been paid and he looks upon you with compassion and with mercy as you acknowledge your wretchedness and the feeling that you have and as you turn to that incredible important verse that you've memorized from 1 John and you confess and he is faithful and he cleanses the resurrecting, resurrected God resurrects us you know the story of the prodigal son? sure you do the boy you know, disregards his father he disgraces himself and his family in every possible way. One of the old writers that I quite appreciate is a guy named J. Vernon McGee. You might recognize that name. He, he said this. He said, you know the difference between the prodigal son and the pig in the pigsty? The difference is, is that no pig has ever said to himself, I will arise and go back to my father. <laughs> it's true. Because only a son can do that. There's a relationship there that allowed that sentence to finally come into the consciousness of this prodigal. And not expecting much of a welcome, he nonetheless picked himself up and walked back. And as he walked back, he planned what he was going to say. And his great speech only got the first half of a, half of a sentence out before that was the end of his speech. But what did he find? He found that there was this father. The relationship was there. Fellowship was broken. The relationship was there. Father who had been long looking down the road for the day that his son would be wandering back. 
and who rushed to greet him and who threw his arms around him and who celebrated his return. Jesus told us that story because he wants us to understand that that's our Heavenly Father. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's something I need to tell you. Truth be known, sometimes there is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't come from God, it comes from the enemy. It comes from the enemy, right? He's the one who will condemn you. He's the one who will communicate condemnation to you. He's the one that will convince you that you are condemned. His name in Hebrew is the accuser. He is the father of all lies. And he will accuse you and he will condemn you. And the reason he does that is not because he can steal you from the Father, because the relationship is there, the fellowship is the part that is broken, and he will lie to you that you are condemned so that you do nothing about repairing that relationship. He wants you to react the same way that he realizes all human beings will act because he learned that lesson well in the garden. When he lied to Adam and Eve and the fellowship with God, not the relationship, the fellowship with God was broken, he witnessed what Adam and Eve did. They ran off and they hid themselves from God. And he went, hmm, memo to self. <laughs> memo to self. Don't forget this. This is important. Because when you and I mess up, when the Apostle Paul messes up, Sin carries the DNA of Satan. And in sin we hear his voice. And his voice is a voice of condemnation. And we must be very careful not to believe the father of lies. We must believe what the word of God teaches us. How many of you believe the Bible is true? Say amen. amen. Okay, that was kind of evangelical free church amen, and that's good enough for now. I want to read a, a verse of scripture to you. And if you believe this verse is true, I want you to say amen, and I give you permission to be a, more enthusiastic than you were. Here's a verse. If you believe this is true, ready? Here it is. Ah, here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yes, it's true. There is no condemnation. The challenge we face is not just to say that we believe it, but to live as we believe it. Do not let anything you have ever done separate you from God. A little later in the book of Romans, this is, again, the Apostle Paul writing. He asks a very important question. And just like in chapter 7 where he asked the question, who shall rescue me from this body of death? And he gives us the answer right away. Here he asks another question and he gives us the answer again right away. Thank you, Paul, for making the test so easy. Here's the question. 
verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There it is, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And there's the question mark. And here's the answer. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the answer. Who shall separate us from Christ? What can separate us from Christ? The answer is nothing, no one. Can't be done. So complete was the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross that your salvation was fully purchased. Nothing. What does the apostle do here? He tries to think of every extreme that he can to get the point across. Height or depth, up or down, angels or demons. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. How amazing is that? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Please make sure you understand that. You have to be in Christ Jesus for this to work. It's not a but, but there's a caveat to it, right? I mean, you have to be in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So my question to you this morning, most important question, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you confessed your sin before Almighty God? Have you acknowledged that you are broken and, and a rightful object of His wrath? The same Apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. It's in this same letter that he wrote to the Romans. All have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. That means every one of us needs to come to the cross. That means that every one of us, at some point in our life, we need to come to that place where we say yes to Jesus, where we surrender, where we acknowledge our sin and our guilt, and we turn in faith and say, oh God, have mercy upon me. And the mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus, is quick to fall upon that which is a penitent heart one that is repentant, one that is truly sorry, one that is truly aware of their own sin, one that is truly in a place of understanding that I am lost. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. There is no reason you should put it off. You might think, well, I have to do this first. No, you don't. There's nothing you can do that makes you ready. You've already done everything you need to do to be ready. You've sinned. Now you're ready to receive Jesus. No, just in the quietness of your own heart, you just surrender and acknowledge and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And those of you who've known Jesus for years, you know that what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 7 is true, that there are times we will struggle. But know that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And that any condemnation you feel comes from the enemy. And that when you do sin, you confess. And you lean more into Jesus, and he leans more into you. And you grow, and you go, and you journey with him. There's never a time when you will turn towards God and not find his arms extended towards you, waiting for you. Why would we ever want to live anywhere else but in the presence of Almighty God who loves us so much? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Spirit of God, thank you for your convicting power. Lord, if there's any today that have made that prayer, if there's any today that wants to know more about what it means to be in Christ Jesus so that they are not condemned, Lord, that they would just turn to someone in this congregation that they're sitting next to and say, help me to talk to somebody, please. I have questions. Help me to understand what I need to do. Lord, for any here today that have been struggling with sin, listening to the lies of the enemy, Lord, I pray that they would be set free and that they would be able to walk victorious. That they would be able to be back in the fellowship that you want to have with us. By your power, Jesus, and for your glory, we pray in your name. Amen.